With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Oh. A voice just came on and said recording started. It's 9.15. So, I don't know where we are. This is the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, the Conscious of Maine. Broadcast today on TalkShoe Radio. I've been on the air. I thought I was on the air for 15 minutes. Here it is, 9.15, and the voice just said, just said, uh, recording started. It's okay, Roger. Keep going, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm going. I don't know what happened. Uh, I don't know if I was on the air or not for the first 15 minutes. I believe so. Okay, good. Because I'm on a roll. <laughs> Do it, man. Were you there for the first 15 minutes? No, it, it just it just dinged when I came on, and I I was oh, muted. I so I didn't. Oh, okay, all right. So they said you're 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 now participating. You're well welcome. You can listen in or or go make your coffee. I know where you are. At least I think I know where you are. Coffee, coffee, coffee. Yep. Okay. Uh, okay. Uh. I was talking about Poland Spring, the economy, and Lincoln, Maine. And I worked in the mill in Lincoln. And one day, uh, they had, used to have a weekly meeting at at, uh, at 9 o'clock in the morning up in the, in what was called the head shed, up in the conference room, up beside the mill manager's office. And uh, one June 30th, manager came in we had our our morning meeting and each department would report on the on the comings and goings in that department and he passed around a check everybody could help hold it in hand it was a check for more than one million dollars like it's a million and and fifty thousand or something like that but it was just over a million dollars and that was the six-month tax payment is due to the town of Lincoln by Lincoln Pulp and Paper. That's the only time I ever held a check for a million dollars in my hand. But it was impressive because the mill was paying a million, $2 million a year to the town of Lincoln. Well, the mill's gone. And it's down, it's been down for two years. And it's been up and down over the years. Back in nineteen in the 1940s, the mill was making target paper. Wild, big rolls of paper that would go to a printer and they'd print targets on it for training soldiers. So the uh, and this target paper was just groundwood. Uh, it was heavy groundwood. And I've, I've fired at that back in the 60s when I was first Naval District Small Arms Champion. But back in the 40s, they were making this ground wood paper. It was it was pretty much the same color as paper bags, a little bit lighter, and they'd print big round circles on them. No 
military doesn't train with round circles anymore. They train with uh, silhouettes. But they, uh, back in back in the 40s, the mill went through some upsets. And after the war, there was a, a decline in demand for paper. And the mill closed down. And I had a foreman working for me in the 1980s who had lost five pensions. The a mill would go bankrupt, and uh, one of the one of the companies that owned the mill was uh, was National Packaging, and uh, there were a whole bunch of them over the years. Uh, Eastern Fine Paper owned the mill, sold the mill. Bought the mill back again. <laughs> a lot of a lot of changes went on, but every time the mill would go bankrupt, the uh, employees would lose whatever pension had been accumulated for them. Now these were company pensions at the time. The employees didn't uh, contribute to 401c3s or 401c retirement plans where the mill would hold the money. Employees held it. And that's the employees' money that they put in. And the mill would match it. Sometimes the mill would match it 20%. Sometimes the mill would double it. If a mill wants to keep an employee, they'll accumulate a pension. And the employee doesn't want to leave the mill to go to work for another company because he can't take the pension with him. Well, now... Uh, there's a law that says if you're you're in a pension plan and you've worked for the mill for more than five years, you can walk away and take it with you. You've got you got some rights and freedom that uh, you didn't used to have. It was it was a a real morale buster when a mill would go bankrupt and guess what? There's going to be no pension down the road. Well, this foreman that worked for me had lost five pensions, and finally he got to retire out of Lincoln Pulp and Paper before the pulp mill blew up. When the pulp mill blew up, most people under, that are familiar with the paper industry realize that that mill is not going to start up again. It, it will eventually go down. It started buying pulp to make paper and filled the, the orders that were there. But the mill uh, the mill was not economically viable. The mill can't make its own pulp. It can't make a profit during lean times. If the paper business is in one of their upticks, or mini-booms, or prosperity, or whatever you want to call it, they can buy pulp and make a profit. Now in Woodland, Maine, the old Georgia Pacific Company uh, sold out to Domtar, which is the old Dominion Tar, Dominion Tar Company out of Canada. I, I had some opportunity to observe that happen. I didn't have anything to do with it. I didn't. <laughs> I wish I'd have gotten a commission on the sale of that property, but but uh, I was working in Canada at the time, and I got to speak to some of the people up in Canada. 
when Domtar was considering buying the mill. And I gave them some plain old ordinary information that was common knowledge in the public. So you know you can't go from mill to mill as a traveling salesman and talk about trade secrets or gossip about other mills. But you can talk about the industry in general terms, which I did. That's that's ethical to do that. Give them some background information about the state and the labor force and the economy and things like that. Generality, sort of common knowledge among people that live here. 25 years ago, 1993, the environmental industry got an act passed where they were going to establish something called heritage rivers in our country. And one of the rivers was the Cuyahoga River in Ohio. And there were numerous small, long-term, successful communities along the Cuyahoga River. And they wanted to make a national park. So they started buying up properties. They bought properties from people that were elderly and they you know, the children weren't going to come home to live there. And uh, they they bought the property from this, these elderly folks, and they would let the, let the folks have a life estate. They could stay there as long as they lived. But once they, you know, they understood that the federal government now owned it, and they were just simply squatters, essentially. They would be allowed to live there. When they passed away, the federal government would would take over. Well, they're doing the same thing in New Hampshire. They're buying up properties. And the White Mountain National Forest was all private property. There were towns there. There are still towns there, but there are towns on paper only. There are no people there. All the people have been driven out. And there's a... uh, Back when the internet was was first getting going, back in the 80s, just they had they had bulletin boards, and you could post a message on the bulletin board. Anybody could read it, and and then so you you could take it down, just like posting a notice at the on the on the big pegboard at, at the supermarket. You know, I've got a, a 1954 Jeep for sale needs needs work, you know. And when it's sold, some people put these little tear-off tabs on the bottom so you can save the phone number, go home and call the person that's got the Jeep for sale, or the snowmobile, whatever it is. So we did the same thing back in the infancy of the Internet. And we'd have, we had bulletin boards. And somebody started a bulletin board. He started a book, and they wrote chapter one. And it was the battle at Jake's printing. Jake ran a print shop. And this is the bear in mind. This is a fictional place in a fictional business. Jake was a a patriot, and he published 
bulletins, flyers, magazines regarding the Patriot Movement in, in Southern California. And the federal government was trying to crack down on Patriots. And they established gun confiscation. People were quite upset about that, but they said, well, you know, for the sake of public safety, we're going to take away all your guns. And the Patriots said, no, you're not. No, 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 no. So they found that there were a bunch of people gathering in the back parking lot of Jake's printing. And it would take hours to tell the whole story, but it's it's uh, it's available, and uh, you can look it up on the internet. The Battle of Jake's Print Shop, or Jake's Printing. It's it's online, and it has become somewhat of a cult uh, following. People read it and they say, "Wow, this is great!" You know, different people contributed. And I was one of the people that contributed to this story. Oh, I'm, and I'm cited in there under a nickname. But they were talking about about uh, the resistance and how they were disrupting the feds. And there are towns in New Hampshire where people will go up to the old the old church and sweep it out and chase the red squirrels out and clean it up, and they'll have a church service once a year at the church. And they'll have a picnic. Somebody will mow the lawn and clean up the parking lot, and, some, and they'll have a worship service one Sunday a year. It's this time of year. Here in Maine, the town of Carroll is going to have one tomorrow. So if you want to come uh, to a worship service in the town of Carroll, tomorrow is the day. It's the only day, the only uh, day this year that there'll be a worship service in that church, and they'll have a pretty good turnout. And townspeople uh, will come that uh, you know they they may have some vague notion that. There probably is a god. We're not really too involved in it. And uh, some people believe in God, but they don't necessarily follow His instructions. <laughs> so they're they're uh, what they they got a hunch that there probably is a god. Just you know, beautiful mornings like this. So I I wrote a, a section of that book. Uh, called the Battle of Jakes, otherwise known as How It Began. Uh, you can look it up on the internet and How It Began in Patriot, and uh, it'll pop up on your on your screen. But they had ham radio uh, relay services going across the country, and inside the steeple of the church, there's an antenna wire from the top of the steeple all the way down through to a radio in the basement of the church. 
and you can talk all the way across with if the atmospheric conditions and the sunspots and and various other factors are favorable, you can talk all the way across the country and you can talk all the way around the world on ham radio. An interesting uh, hobby, but it can also be a valuable public service, such as after disasters like the ice storms or the fire in California, multiple fires, lots of fires. I refer to the fires in California as political arson, kind of a harsh sentiment or accusation, but it's true. The the forests that are burning in California are not privately owned. All the fires are on government land. And they don't want the people that live adjacent to the government land to trim the brush back because it might scare some bug or a mouse or something. There's a a valley out there in California, lots of valleys. And uh, there's one valley out there where the federal government has banned all motorcycles, ATVs, uh, even bicycles from that side of the valley because they want to protect a bush that's endangered. Okay, some kind of bush that they've declared that this bush is endangered. Then you go out and seize all kinds of opportunities like that. The main department of uh, natural resources, whatever, has declared ten different species in the state of Maine as 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 uh, endangered. They've got the tidewater bucket, which is a little clam. They've got the yellow lamplighter mussel. They've got the Orno sedge. Now, the Orno sedge is a weed that grows best on roads that are salted. It grows in a ditch beside roads that have salt in the wintertime. The Orno sedge is an endangered species, along with seven others. So... They'll declare that this species is endangered, such as the yellow lamplighter mussel. Well, then then they'll say, well, you can't do anything in the water with this yellow lamplighter mussel might like it. You can't pump water out of this particular water out of this pond to use for irrigation because it might scare the yellow lamplighter mussel. The DEP in the state of Maine is a tyrannical bunch of Angus King holdovers. And they're still there. They get a few interns and new hires once in a while. But the old guard is still there. Terrorizing Maine people. Well, the environmental industry... got a, a bill passed that rivers in the state all over the country could be designated as heritage rivers. And, you know, most people like heritage. They're interested in their in their family tree. They're putting in DNA samples so they can find out who they might be connected to or where their 
forefathers came from. And they get ads on TV, two or three different kinds of ads about DNA sampling every day on TV. I want you to send in your DNA. Well, I don't think young people should do that. I don't think they should risk this exposure. I'm an old guy. I don't have a lot of time left in this world. I'm hope to have another 10 or 15 years. But uh, you never know. You know, I'm I'm healthy and vigorous and active and self-employed and having a fine time. But, you know, I realized that, you know, nobody lives forever. So I sent my DNA in. It's a National Geographic. Three years ago, I got myself a Christmas present. 150 bucks, I think it was back then. Now you can get it for 55 bucks, like so many other things. But I sent it in. National Geographic sent me a nice report. They said, you are a very unique individual. I knew that. <laughs> but they said that I am 100% Scandinavian. Oh, going all the way back to the end of the Ice Age when people first moved from the south up to up to into what is now Scandinavia. My father's parents came here from Sweden. My mother's parents came here from Norway, and they, uh, you know, they just never wandered. The Vikings went down down the coast. Of Europe, they went down, you know, Denmark, Denmark, and Belgium, and went across to England and Ireland. Raised Cain over there, went over to France, down to Spain, Portugal, and the Spanish and the Portuguese have something included in their mass in the, in the Catholic Church there, and in. When they look asking for protection and and uh, good fortune and whatnot in the course of the mass, part of the mass says, "Lord, please protect us against the Vikingos," because <laughs> the Viking ships would come down the coast and they'd raid these villages to see what they could they could take, and uh, they made it around the corner up the east side of Spain. Now, this is a ship from, say, Norway, Viking longship. They were the fastest ships on the ocean at the time. And they went up Spain, and then they went across the south of France, in what is now uh, uh, a little gambling country there. Not Morocco, because that's in Africa. I can't think of the name of that little game. So, uh, American actress married the king, uh, Kelly. Ma- married the king there anyway. And you keep going, and then you got uh, Sardinia, and then you got Italy. You go down around Italy, and once you go down the west coast of Italy and turn around the east coast, on the other side of that, that uh, small bay, they call it an ocean. Then you got then you got uh, the Serbs and the Albanians and right around to Greece. 
And the Vikings, as far as we know, never made it beyond Greece. They just they figured, well, you know, we've got to get home before winter. So they turned around and went back from Greece. By the time they got back up to Norway, pulled into their home fjord, big celebration in town because they always had lots of good stuff <laughs> when they when they arrived back. Interesting to look at, at the history, but to, to know that that uh, you know my people were were uh, there from the beginning of what is today Norway and Sweden is is it's just an interesting thing. It's fun to know. And if you've got any elderly people that would like to make a record of this. You can now do this for $55. Just send in an application. They'll send you a kit. And you you, uh, you brush your teeth and have a couple of glasses of water. And you sit around and get on the computer and look at your, read your email and stuff. And after a while, you simply drool into a test tube and put the cat there's there's liquid in the test tube you drool into it and uh, put the cap back on and stick it in the package they sent and you mail it off two months later you'll get a report on yourself and your ancestors and you'll find that some of your ancestors are from places that you never Never realized that you had an ancestor in that country. But two or three or four generations back, one of the advertisements uh, was able to come up with a picture, a picture of a, one of the ancestors of this individual, and he looks just like the guy today. I mean, a really strong resemblance. So, heritage is a big deal. And the federal government and the environmental industry wanted to designate rivers as heritage rivers. And they wanted the Penobscot to become a heritage river. Well, we saw them coming. Unorganized Territories United was very active. We had over 600 members. And we knew what being a heritage river involved. It involves... The destruction of active businesses and driving people out. We coined a term for that called ethnic uh, rural cleansing. It's like ethnic cleansing. They want you gone. One of the one of the things that they wanted was absolutely no building within a quarter mile of the river. If you're already there, well, that's okay, but no more building. You can't even add on to your house if you're within a quarter of a mile of the river. Well, when the towns were all built, they were built right on the river because the river was the main drag. It's how you travel from place to place was upriver and downriver. You float down the river. That's, That's simple. To get back up again, they had sailboats. That would you know you wait till the wind is wind is good and then you raise the sails and you can sail up the river. And they had ferries that ran back and forth across the river. Some of the ferries went 
were brought across by ropes, and they had a horse or an oxen that would they would turn the rope. And then some of the ferries, the rope was passed around a windlass, a single rope across there, and the people on the ferry would turn the wheel and it would move the ferry across the river. Everybody pitched in. Somebody get tired, somebody else would jump up and they'd turn the wheel. And there are pictures of this in in the uh, in the local town historical society. They'll have pictures of these ferries. They had ferry landings between Lincoln and Chester, for example. And there were roads named Ferry Road. There was a, there was a ferry in the town of Mattawamke going across to the other side. Ferries were located where they had a good hard bank on each side, and the river was wide and shallow. Because where it's wide, the current isn't as fast. Where it's narrow, the current is ripping through there, and it's not a good place to put a ferry. We know about these. We know about the history, and the people from the federal government that come in don't know the history. They just want to establish a status, which is to drive people away and prevent business. That's the simple, simple truth. They say they want to celebrate our heritage and honor our forefathers and all this kind of stuff. It's a crock of BS. That's not what they're about. So we had a chance. We had a chance to speak about these things, and I, I got up and I said, "Boy, you know, this Heritage River sounds like a really good idea. You know, we ought to have a Heritage. We ought to build a couple of Heritage sawmills right on the riverbank, powered by the river, and we ought to have a, a Heritage log drive and drive logs down the river the way our forefathers did." And, and uh, in the river, there's a bunch of boulders where they used to have log jams, and people would get hurt, and sometimes people would get killed in these log jams. We ought to get out there with some dynamite and blow up these rocks so the river will be safer for the log jams and the log drivers and and for boulders today. You know, oh, jeez, oh, no, 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 that's not what this is about. I said, yeah, I realize that's not what this is about. I know what this is about. This is about rural cleansing, and I launched right into them. They tried to shut me up, and it didn't work. <laughs> I just kept right on and going. I had my facts, and we drove them out of there. We hounded them right out of They left the building, grabbed their stuff, and went. They realized that this was not a friendly audience. <laughs> we didn't hurt them. We didn't hit them. We didn't spit on them. They're the ones that spit on people. You know, they're, that's what what uh, progressives do when they get really excited. But they they headed down the road, and Penobscot River did not become a heritage river. They were ready for them in Millinocket. They were ready for them in East Millinocket. They were ready for them in Mattawamkeag, and they were ready for them in Lincoln. But they never went to Lincoln. They get down as far as Mattawamkeag. And they decided, we go find a different river. Because <laughs> this is not going to work. <laughs> you can fight these people. And you can have fun doing it. They deserve to be fought. They deserve to be defeated. They've earned it. They got this gal who found a sleepy Congress critter in New York City, in Queens. 
And this guy was a 10-term congressman. It means he'd been down there for 20 years. And he never even came home to Queens. It's like a bunch of... Uh, of legislators, you know, they live in Washington D.C. That's where their home is, but they they maintain a post office box somewhere in Maine. Or in this case, this guy uh, from New York hadn't even been to Queens in a long time. And this young aggressive, a a uh, socialist Democrat like Bernie Sanders. Put in her, she's a bartender down there in Queens. And they, she put in her papers to run in the primary. Nobody, she told Silicon when this, hey, this bartender's going to run against you. <laughs> oh, good. Maybe it'll generate some publicity, you know. And she went door to door and she worked her little butt off. And she beat the congressman. The reason she beat the congressman is not because democratic socialist is a popular thing in this country. She beat him because she worked at it, and yet the congressman didn't give her any credit whatsoever. And she won. Now she is a democratic socialist like Bernie Sanders, and she's like his granddaughter. I mean, he's taking her right out of his wing, and they're going all over the country. But she can't. She won't answer questions. She has a degree in political science and economics and international relations and all this stuff he claims to have degrees in. She's about 28 years old, you know, pretty young lady. And she uh, she's the nominee. She will likely win in that district because in New York City, turnout of voters is very low. The reason they've got that lunatic as mayor of New York City is they had he got elected when there was a five percent voter turnout. Five percent. You'd think a Republican could turn out more than 5% if he bothered to run down there, but they've seeded, C-E-D-E-D, C-E-D. Anyway, they've seeded New York City to the progressives. And they've got a huge tax burden. They've got taxes on the taxes. They've got city taxes. They've got borough taxes. They've got state taxes, they get their federal taxes, more taxes than you count pills. Huge tax burden. But it's convenient for large corporate businesses to do business in New York. But they're starting to leave. Best example, most famous example is Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh got looking at his taxes and he was living in Connecticut, which has high taxes, but he's also living and working in, in New York City, running the Marsh Limbaugh Show. Golden microphone. EIB, Excellence in Broadcasting. And you know, he said, you know what? 
I don't need this. I don't want the hassle. And he bought he bought a condo down there or something down in uh, in Florida and simply moved his staff down there. They've got a few people in New York. They're connected during his three-hour radio show. But uh, it's you know he's happy happy in Florida and golf year round and uh, he jets off. He does he does a lot of charity work, a lot of charity work that you don't hear about. And he's a conservative icon. He loves to tweak the progressives. Well, now there are more and more people doing that. Fox News popped up. Fox News probably never would have become what they are today if it wasn't for Rush Limbaugh. Rush Limbaugh had a had a radio show for a couple of years back in the early nineties, and uh, that was that was fun to watch. It was little more than than a one hour show in the evening on TV essentially the same thing he did in the daytime with a TV camera. And you can watch him in his studio now. You log on, you can get on. He's got some sort of a subscription thing. It's a rush. And you pay your money and you can watch him on TV. I'm just as happy to listen to him going down the road. I don't need to watch him on TV. But the deep state... Is is here? It exists in the federal government, and it exists in states. Every state has this, and the Department of Environmental Protection is deep state in Augusta. When Angus King came to Augusta, came to Maine, got elected governor, and I've told that story on this program. But when he got elected, He uh, established the Maine State Planning Office. The Maine State Planning Office did some some minor scheduling, and they had a staff of three people. He bought a building across the road from from the governor's mansion, the Blaine Mansion, Blaine House. He bought the two-story office building. Well, it was a home and they converted it to an office building. So it's a three-story building. It's the basement and, and two stories. And the Maine State Planning Office grew from three people to 55 people. And the DEP had a huge explosive growth. Angus King never lived in the Blaine House. Angus King lived in his mansion down on the coast with his wife, kids. And... uh Never he'd, he'd attend a social event or reception of some kind at the Blaine House, but he never lived there. He may have spent the night there once or twice, but he went home down to down to the coast. So to wrap this up, we've got a volcano in Hawaii that everybody was wondering, well, you know, we've always had volcanoes here and eruptions and stuff, but 
But uh, you know, this thing doesn't seem to be letting up any. In fact, it, the lava coming out of it is coming out of it at an increasing rate. And fissure number eight is a crack in the earth. It's coming out of the volcano itself and it's welding up through fissure number eight. And they've got a molten river going down through this valley into the Pacific Ocean. And it's a solid stream of, of very hot lava. It's not just red lava. It's it's not just orange. It's, it's white hot places. When it first comes out of the ground, some of that stuff is white hot. It's really, really hot. And it's, it's cutting a slot in the earth as it's flowing along. It's melting the other rock. Most volcanoes, when they erupt, they'll... The red lava will land on cold earth, relatively cold, and solidify very quickly. It doesn't even run down the mountain. That's why we have big cone-shaped mountains of volcanoes. Volcanoes blows out the top and splatters on the slope of the mountain and stops right there. There's no great big flow of lava. Mount Fuji in Japan is like that. I've flown by it. And there are a bunch of extinct volcanoes in the Mekong Delta in southern Vietnam and various places there. And they're all cone-shaped. Mount Vesuvius in Italy is erupting again. Mother Earth, as they say, is becoming active. What's more active than it has been? We've had a few earthquakes in Maine. And... This is this is there's no eruptions in Maine. What's happening is the solid rock, the bedrock, is shifting as the Earth rebounds from the time when there was miles of ice on on the surface of Maine. So it's 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 bending and it's cracking and it's moving and jiggling a little bit, but most people don't even notice it. Mother Earth is is changing as it always has and always will. Uh, it causes calamities in families where the house gets damaged from the earthquake or the lava flow or the flood. But in California, the forest fires are political arson because they won't let people trim brush back from around their houses because it might scare some bug some little bird. A bird can fly over to the next bush. Don't need to have that one right beside the patio where the house is going to burn down. So, this has been the Northern Maine Landman Show on the Constitutional Radio Network, Conscience of Maine. Brought to you today on TalkShoe Radio Network. Just look up TalkShoe, Northern Maine Landman, you'll see my smiling face. And you can listen to hundreds of hours of old Northern Maine Landman shows. Let's get more into politics as we get further into the into the fall here. As Labor Day is coming right up, and campaigns are going to kick into high gear. You need to take a good hard look at what our alternatives are. People make choices. In many cases, these choices are controlled. So be careful, pay attention, and vote for liberty. Don't vote for Angus King.
God bless. Be safe. Enjoy what's left of our summer. The geese are flying south. I saw a flock of geese, big V formation, flying south this morning. First one I've seen. Here it is, it's still August, and the geese are bailing. They know what's coming. See ya. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.